overwhelmed, Bretto. It is perhaps the number one challenge our Wellness Couch listeners face. It's also the number one reason why many listeners can't get to our live events. Well, we have listened to our listeners and we are putting on our first online event, Release Your Overwhelm. So exciting, MP. Put Saturday, November 23 in the calendar. Log in from your phone or your TV or your laptop anywhere in the world and tune in to... Kim Morrison. Brett Hill. Marcus Pierce, Wendy Stewart. And Jason Witten. Release your overwhelm about time, relationships, money, your body, and most importantly, you. Access is just $10 and available at releaseyouroverwhelm.com. Book in now at releaseyouroverwhelm.com. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. This episode of Wellness Women Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. Um, I love Dinner Twist because they are a locally family-owned business here in Perth in Western Australia, and all of their produce is locally sourced and seasonal. So they are really invested in all of their suppliers as well, which is absolutely amazing. Everything is so fresh. Uh, Ashley and I both get the Wholesome Box, which is naturally gluten and dairy-free as well, and is very consistent with a paleo-type lifestyle as well. Uh, so it's, you know, completely consistent with, you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I trick Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families an express box. If you're really short on time, uh, as well as a vegan box too. Now, we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try Dinner Twist and realize how healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is, but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box. And that is WWR for Wellness Movement Radio. Um, So we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without further ado, ladies, onto the show. Hello there, wonderful wellness women. Thank you so much for tuning in today to Wellness Women Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And uh, as Ash said, you're listening to Wellness Women Radio and you can find us on social media. Uh, So we are The Wellness Women on Facebook. We are at The Wellness Women Official on Instagram. I am DrAndrea.xo on the gram and The Period Whisperer on Facebook. And Ash is Dr. Ashley Bond on everything. If you haven't already, make sure that you subscribe to this on iTunes or whatever platform that you're using. Uh, And make sure you give us those five-star ratings because we love them and that is really how we kind of spread this message of you know optimal women's health 
And you know what, Ash, we have got really high expectations as well, um, which <laughs> I think we? is amazing. Yeah. Um, so um, anyway, we'll get into that in a second. But Ash, how are you? How are you doing? A fantastic. Thanks, Han. Had a lovely week. We're just going to, uh, we'll let you ladies in. We had a lovely weekend up in Cairns together, you know, candlelit dinners and cocktails by the beach, kind of, uh, you know, cruising along. But we were there for a seminar. But uh, I know that after the seminar, you met a very, very special little person. Tell us uh oh. Tell us about that because I know the listeners want to know, uh, you know, that you're now. Congratulations, Auntie Andrea. <laughs> oh, thank you. And, you know, um, like I've said before, I, I certainly feel like this affinity to, you know, the other little bubs that I am a, kind of sort of an auntie to, like, you know, Ollie and Mika. Um, but my sister has just had her first bub, little Emmeline, and she is gorgeous. And I got to spend a day and a half with them. And it was just so beautiful seeing Sarah, like, as a mum and she's just doing the most incredible job and my god it looks difficult but she is an absolute trooper um, and so knowing she's amazing. such a fan of us we give it give her a big hello i don't know how many of these you're going to listen to sarah while uh you know you go through <laughs> the new mum life because i know that yeah. my podcasting uh listening went way down in the first six months after ollie arrived but um if you are listening well done mama i think it's uh, an incredible achievement to bring a little person into this world so for all the mothers out what- there that are you know sort of listening and going yeah yeah gotcha um you know i think we we talk about reproductive health medicine for so many different reasons but because whether you're you know a mother of a a fair baby or a mother of a a human baby or you know a a, i guess adoptive mom or a foster mom there's so many ways to be a mom in this world today and sometimes it's even just being an auntie which makes you you know the world's greatest mom support so um (laughs) oh yeah i love that and i was so hell-bent on spoiling the crap out of them when i was there and I'm sure Sarah won't mind me sharing this. Like she has not had an easy journey. So Sarah had hyperemesis um, when she was pregnant. Um, and that is like morning sickness on steroids. So she was pretty much vomiting the entire way through her pregnancy. Um, Sarah also has a history of ovarian cysts and polycystic ovarian syndrome. And from doing the hormone reset um, with us, she was able to like have regular ovulation and conceived the first time she tried. And Sarah's 36 as well. So that's pretty amazing. And I think it just speaks to just, you know, timeless health principles. When the system is working properly, you know, it just does what it's supposed to. And now, like, you know, apart from having a bloody horrific pregnancy and a pretty, like, awful labor as well, she now has this perfect little girl. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty exciting. But that was right off the bat from uh, you and I got to hang out in Cairns at a seminar. Um, so, we were at a conference that you and I were both pretty excited to attend. And Interestingly enough, us being there really made me realize how much we are ahead of the curve and how much we value research and how much we, you know, really value up-to-date evidence as well. Um, And I think that's kind of ties into some of the stuff that we're going to talk about tonight. Ash, what do you think? Oh, 100%. And I think any of the ladies listening who followed us us from, I guess, for some time, you'd sort of realise that, you know, if people are standing on stage and referencing uh, research from the the early 2000s and, you know, it hasn't been updated and, you know, we know that there's updated material, you can imagine us sitting there. I was like, Andy's like, I'm getting palpitations. And I'm like, I'm sympathetic. My palms are sweating. This is making me so anxious it was very stressful for us (laughs) to be there and also because you know obviously our knowledge of women's health is 
a lot. It's it's well well above average. Let's put it that way. Um, You know, we've got like ten plus years of study right there, but. Uh, I think that when you're teaching this sort of information, you really need to know your stuff. And it was quite apparent that that was not the case on the weekend, which was a bit of a frustration for us. Um, But also really cemented in what our values are and what we bring to you guys as well. So um, there you go. You get to benefit from all of our, you know, frustrations and everything, but I'm totally digressing here. Um, oh, can I also, Ash, I just have some other exciting news. Um, so today, um, Dean sat his final exam. So for those Yay. of you who don't know, my hubby has been studying to be a paramedic and he did his final exam today. Uh, so that's super exciting. Oh, I just forgot to great. tell you that off air. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry that we're sitting here recording. You should be out celebrating with him. That's a massive achievement. But uh, yeah, we'll get this done quickly, ladies. We'll dive into uh, why we came on today to have a chat to you because there is some really – we are talking about evidence and research and what's up to date, and this is up to date. This is so exciting. There's some really, you know, awesome publications that have come out this year, 2019, um, even as early as – well, as late as August we've got one here in front of us that's just like, oh, hello, this is remarkable. Um, you know we both talk a lot about the gut microbiota and gut microbiome. You know Dr. Andrew is like, you know, gut queen with uh, our amazing friend Kale Brock. But what we're talking about today, is actually the vaginal microbiota um, because there's a lot of research being done realizing this is, you know, a unique and separate entity of the female body that warrants its very own place in medical research, which is about jolly time, I think. But, um, you know, it shouldn't be coming as any surprise to people who work in reproductive medicine to go, oh, my goodness, yeah, of course the vagina and the vaginal, uh, you know, pathways are unique and separate. But some of the old notions that are, are getting pushed aside for the new information comes down to things like they used to think the vagina was colonized by bacteria that had come from the gastrointestinal tract via the anus and it just trans like translated forward so it had moved into the vagina which we now know not to be the case it's got its own unique little microbiota colony in there um and there's some key things that i guess we'd put you know in inverted commas normal versus abnormal um and i say that loosely because obviously there's still a, a bit of work to be done on what is considered a normal microbiome but the research is showing there are some very clear signs of which strains are ni- I guess need to be dominant in order to have a very healthy vaginal microbiota. Now, why does that matter to you, ladies? I think the key is, mm-hmm. you know, um, reproductive health medicine, you know, sexual health relies on having a healthy body, healthy tissues. Um, long story short, a good vaginal microbiota can help to prevent or reduce the likelihood of things like sexually transmitted infections, um, not to mention any other sort of genital concerns such as bacterial vaginosis, um, even things such as yeast infections, candida alcopacans, uh, depending on how healthy your microbiota is, will determine whether that colonizes and takes over and you end up with thrush and recurrent thrush issues. So let's dive into this, Andrea. I'm excited. (laughs) Awesome. And I love that you sort of brought it back to the relevance there ash because that's something that i was kind of thinking of that when when we were wanting to talk about this and record it was like i was thinking okay so it's all well and good to know that there's a presence of the vaginal microbiome just as we know we've got that 
amazing gut ecosystem with those trillions of symbiotic bugs that sort of reside there. The same too is true for the vagina as well. We also know, and we've spoken about before on um, one of the more recent episodes that we did on an update on endometriosis when we were talking about the uterine microbiome. So I don't think that we've actually really specifically gone into what the, the kind of vaginal microbiome is and what the relevance of that is. But exactly as you said, like this is, we've got this mutually beneficial relationship with our vagina and with the bugs that reside in there. And predominantly they're of the lactobacillus, lactobacillus um, uh, genus. I think that, that's, that's the correct terminology, isn't it? Essentially species. Yeah, it's the genus. So it's the lactobacillus genus that makes up the most of the vaginal bugs, which keeps the sort of area really acidic. And that's because those bugs produce lactic acid um, type offshoots, I guess, and which wards off other pathogenic stuff. So this is what keeps, you know, our vagina really healthy. This is also what is obviously going to feed into the cervix and the uterus as well. So it reduces our risk of STIs, um, reduces our risk of urinary tract infections as well. But for a lot of people, I think a really important part of that is the presence of bacterial vaginosis as well. So it's a really poorly understood condition. It's a really difficult condition to treat. And we have done a podcast specifically on that. So I definitely suggest go back and have a listen to that. But when you've got a good, healthy vaginal microbiome, it means that you will have that good reproductive health, but it also has huge implications in fertility as well. So I think it was, I don't know, a few months ago, I posted on social media just in regards to, um, there was a new study that came out linking the vaginal microbiome as a predictor to the success of IVF. Um, so IVF in ICSI, and it showed that um, there were certain types of species that if they were present, it reduced the chances of like a live pregnancy or essentially, you know, they're having successful outcomes with that um, assisted reproductive technology. And I just think that that is so incredible to think about and understand because it means we can influence it, yeah, which that, I think is super cool. It's really cool. And what I find fascinating too, because when we're talking about, you know, vaginal microbiota, one thing that was flipping me a little bit was, you know, when we talk about gut, we're looking about greater diversity being more beneficial. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's actually the opposite in the vaginal microbiome. It's, you know, the fact that it's a narrow diversity dominated by this lactobacillus genus is the key here and they've actually found connections with a more diverse um, microbiota species richness and the impact they can have on preterm birth now they still don't have causation uh, but they certainly have some really interesting causal links so you know looking at the the suggestion that wow our vaginal microbiome could actually influence whether or not our baby goes to term in terms of its you know a successful pregnancy that's really really interesting so this for me has a massive influence because obviously you know i I love the whole pregnancy and um, postnatal experience of women and how that affects their their reproductive health how that affects their you know vaginal health and this is a massive thing like i just went crazy about this because i'm like what about vaginal deliveries versus c-sections you know my brain was just like what would this mean for children what does this mean for the next generation of women who are born from women who have you know really poor um you know vaginal colonizations i We'll go there in a second, but I'm just jumping ahead. Um, but, you know, what you, oh, exactly what it. you're saying, Andrew, is just this idea that the more we know, the more we understand about, the more we realise the importance of this and that every person who has a vagina needs to understand it too. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love it. And I love how excited and passionate you get about that, Ash, as well. It's so cool. I think that this is really relevant for me in my practice because when we see so many women who have, you know, failed to fall pregnant, might be going through IVF and everything, that roller coaster is so just extreme. It's such an emotional toll, not to mention a physical toll and financial as well. You know, it, it's huge. And what some of these like groundbreaking research is showing is that there's, uh, if we have a low load of say the lactobacillus um, genus, where and but then in the flip side of that, if we've got high loads of things like proteobacteria, it's correlated with failure to become pregnant. Whereas this like kind of favorable microbial sort of profile increases um, pregnancy outcomes dramatically. We also know there's poor reproductive outcomes when we have high rates of those gram-negative species like E. coli, Staphylococcus and Streptococcus as well. So if if we can try and prevent those pathogenic species, we're going to be decreasing, this is my interpretation of it, we're going to be decreasing that inflammatory signaling from the immune system, which is only going to be, you know, advantageous for a successful pregnancy. Right. Amazing. So quick question about that. I know that yes. uh, Alice is probably sort of sitting here thinking too. So let's just say why why do they why do they postulate that this, you know, obviously changes in diversity can affect fertility? Is that related to things like the pH balance or, you know, what's what's the hypothesis there? Um, that's a really good question. I think that it not only is it the pH, it, um, the microbiome helps to assist with the mucus production. Mm-hmm. So, and having the right type of mucus aids for fertility. So, but that that doesn't really make sense in terms of IVF because you're bypassing those natural pathways, which would allow for that sperm transport, which is why that fertile mucus is so important. So. I'm not sure exactly what the correlation was there, um, but I think that part of it has to be part of that immune signaling. It has to be part of, um, you know, just creating that hospitable sort of environment and possibly reducing the, um, I guess, the immune overreaction to potentially like an um, planting embryo as well because we know that. Yeah, if there is that immune reaction to a pregnancy, you can have that almost like that autoimmune response to that. Okay. And so knowing that like the lactobacilli also are under control of estrogens, do you think that could play a role in it when we start doing, you know, hormone therapies and things like that? Because we know that this lactobacilli yeah. profile changes in accordance with our age and, and stages of our, I guess, reproductive cycle. So prior to menstruation, there's a certain, you know, microbiota profile that you'll see. Then when menarche occurs, there's another profile. And obviously postmenopausal, there's another profile. And it's quite simply because this lactic um acid-producing lactobacilli are under the influence of many different factors, including estrogen, including environmental factors. You know, it's age-related, it's gender. I mean, sorry, gender. Um, What do you call it? Nationality, like our our, oh, our genome, like where we come from. So yes, you know, yeah, our, we know our heritage. That. Usually, we can like finish each other's sentences, but not <laughs> not in that moment. Um, so our genetic disposition, you know, where we come yes. from, is also a factor in this. And of course, you know, the physiological status of uh, the vagina itself. So there are so many factors in this one. But you know, what's so so interesting is time and time again, it comes up with the benefits of this high lactobacillus presence. So. Um, 
let's talk about some of the things that threaten that natural, you know, healthy microbiome. Let's talk about some of the things that could cause that to to change. Yeah, awesome. Before we do that, um, I just want to come back to kind of the question that you raised there, Ash, about changes in hormones and how that can affect um, the microbiome as well. So what we see really commonly is women who might get recurrent thrush or that candida overgrowth with their cycle. So when right before your period actually starts, we get this decrease of progesterone and estrogen. And in particular, estrogen is very immune sensitive. So it's very immune protective, but within a threshold. So it's like this Goldilocks principle. If it's too low, it's not going to have good protective effects. If it's too high, it signals autoimmune pathways and makes the immune system go a little bit haywire. So right before women get their period, when we get this reduction of estrogen, it kind of does allow for some opportunistic stuff to overgrow if Again, that microbiome isn't spot on and protective for when those hormones change as well. Um, so that's why we see that that cyclical type um, reaction in some women. Uh, okay, anyway, let's go back to what your question is about the things that really affect it. Um, one thing that women don't have a very good understanding of is actually that the copper IUD really changes the vaginal microbiome. Um, Obviously, copper being, you know, the metal that it is does change that environment. Um, and it's a really successful um, contraceptive option. A lot of women really love it, but it does double the risk of bacterial vaginosis as well. So I think that's really important to understand. Anything else that is going to chemically change the area in terms of antibiotics, um, washing, douching. Yeah. Yep. Um, I even thought probably synthetic lubricants as well, um, possibly some uh, spermicides too. Um, I also wondered, and I don't have anything that supports this, but whether or not um, tampons that are treated. So, for example, sure, tampons. Chlorine treated. Yeah. Absolutely. That'll, that'll um, mean absolutely change the biochemistry, won't it? And also potentially the pH as well. So, that um, makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen any research on that, but I just think that surely anecdotally that if there's chemically treated tampons that are residing in the vagina, then that would certainly change things. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. 100%. How interesting. And also, um, you know, looking at oh, one of the studies was looking at um, penile microbiome, ladies. So, yes, I did oh, say yeah. penis. The penis, the microbiome of the penis can actually uh, change. <laughs> I don't know why I giggled just then. <laughs> <laughs> can change right their now. partner's microbiome, right? So, yes. you know, looking at the male partner, um, any pre-existing histories of uh, infections, virus or anything like that, um, and also their, their colonisation as well. So there's a project underway to actually map and um, create a database for penile microbiome as well. So it's not just the ladies they're researching. They are trying to, to figure cool. out the guys. Um, always interested whether it's the seminal fluid or what, what they were testing there. But, no, they're just literally taking swabs from the, the, the penises of men. Um, and another interesting one there is the potential that the things like, um, I was going to say castration, totally the wrong word, circumcision. <laughs> <laughs> circumcision's what I meant. Um, the circumcision can change the the state in the colony because obviously that foreskin plays a role in the microbiome. So isn't that fascinating? Oh, it makes so much sense. Yeah, 
Yeah. And we know that, for example, if a woman has bacterial vaginosis um, with her partner, I always recommend that until we can completely clear that infection, I recommend them using, you know, barrier contraceptive methods so that they're not constantly reinfecting each other. And it's the same goes with things like candida albicans or that, um, you know, thrush overgrowth as well. Um, if that is something that needs to change for that woman, then again, it needs to be something that changes for both partners Otherwise, again, they just kind of go through that that cycle of just reinfection over and over again. So that makes sense. Ah, oh, that's so fascinating. Mm. All right. So, ladies, with everything, when we have this understanding, okay, let's say that maybe you don't have an optimal vaginal microbiome. You may have some of those symptoms that we've talked about. It could be you might have experienced bacterial vaginosis. You might be getting recurrent UTIs. There could be some fertility stuff going on for you. It could be just some other unpleasant sensations, whether or not that's a little bit of like, you know, itching, redness, um, could be some strange odors that you don't think would be normal for that area that doesn't kind of fit into the bacterial vaginosis or the thrush sort of spectrum. Um, or you just don't feel, you know, I guess as healthy as what, what you would like. Let's talk about what you can actually do to then change that environment. So we know that there's such a strong connection between obviously our gut health, our gut microbiome and that of the vagina as well. So if we are consuming the things that feed our gut, like lots of really amazing fiber, we know that that's going to have a good impact on, you know, producing the food that the microbiota love and anything with color. So anything that is like, you know, those polyphenols, which is the color in our veggies, for example, has this dual action of both increasing the beneficial growth or the beneficial bacterial growth while simultaneously decreasing any pathogenic stuff. And that's just by eating fiber that or, or veggies with color in them. How cool is that? Very cool. And I think as well, ladies, be considering these things as well in your preconceptive care, you know, thoughts, because everything that you do to improve your gut microbiome, which can include as well the vaginal microbiome. Um, we'll talk, I really want to talk in a second about this because I just think we need to, you know, a lot of ladies in my practice have asked if they're having, for example, C-sections um, mm -hmm. as a necessary, you know, precaution in their pregnancy to ask whether or not they should be, you know, doing the vaginal swabbing and all of this sort of thing. And I was like, that's a really great question. We need to explain that further. So we'll, we'll explain that. But right now we're just talking about some of those things that, um, you know, can help to improve that. I'm a big one in don't change it. So don't stop the douching, stop the, the flushing, stop the creams and stop all the things that, you know, are changing the pH and changing the, the microbiota in the, the vagina, um, suppositories yeah. and things like that. Be very mindful that these are all, you know, potentially changing the, the microbiota as well. So just understanding it's not always about what you can do. It's also what you, you know, you can stop doing that can help a lot as well. Um, yeah. So opting for, you know, maybe an organic version of, tampons if you're using those in pads as well um, maybe using menstrual cups um, if that's a little bit more sort of convenient for you and potentially supplementing with strains that we know will help to promote that good growth so these are strains like the lactobacillus rhamnosus um, lactobacillus ruteri those sorts of things so that is clinically proven to show have been shown to reduce the incidence of bacterial vaginosis and helps to promote that good sort of vaginal um 
I guess, microbiome. Yeah, and think about what uh, what you're washing your underwear in as well. You know, think about oh, the fact that you could be, point. you know, you could be using, you know, really chemical, toxic-loaded, fragrance-loaded um, washing detergents, which have direct contacts. And whether you realise it or not, at some point in the day when you sit down, there will be a mucosal contact with your underwear, which means I didn't that, even think of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Talk about the the endogenous estrogenic effects. Well, guess what? We know that these fragrance-based toxic washing liquids um, have a xenoestrogenic effect, meaning that they mimic estrogen in the human body. And we've just yeah. talked about how, you know, lactobacilli are under the influence of estrogen. Well, guess what? You don't want to be going muck around with, uh, with any sort of chemicals that can simulate or mimic estrogen. Exactly. Oh, okay. So that is great, Ash. Um, now, Let's go back to talking about the C-section versus vaginal birth. What did you uh, want to talk about there? <laughs> oh, look, I think for me it was just an, an interesting conversation to have because, you know, we were, we were looking at, and I, I will get on my high heel with you, you know, Australia right now is doing a disgraceful job of encouraging women to be well-informed and well-educated to understand, you know, the huge benefits of vaginal delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, C-sections are... Uh, Absolutely, I will categorically say overutilized here in Australia. There is no doubt about that. There's, you know, plenty of evidence to suggest we are way above the World Health Organization recommendations for an acceptable rate of cesarean section. So, you know, one could argue, oh, but it's safety. And another one could say, actually, we're, we're disempowering women to understand their bodies, um, mm-hmm. you know, incredible capacity for vaginal deliveries when safe and when appropriate. But, you know, this is the thing that we talk about um, when we talk about women's health. For a woman to give birth to a girl, um, her vaginal microbiome is directly dictated by her mother's. So, you know, like for better or for worse, and this is, again, we could, you know, just have a discussion about, well, what if it's an unhealthy one, do you pass on an unhealthy one? And what if it's a really healthy one, do you pass on that health too? Um, And the scientists are doing research on this. They're trying to decide whether sometimes the vaginal delivery won't be a safe you know, outcome because of, let's say, mm-hmm. things like HSV, uh, you know, herpes simplex or genital warts and things like that where it's not appropriate to potentially transfer those to the infant. Um, on the flip side, though, you think about that, you know, incredible first inoculation of all these amazing bacteria. Um, I shouldn't say first, actually. You know, what we once believed was a sterile environment in the, yes. the placenta, right, is actually not. There is proof that there is live bacteria in the meconium, which is, you know, those first stools from the infant, indicating that in utero they are getting bathed in bacterium, which gets them prepped and ready for the outside world. Now, that makes complete sense. I can't believe we ever thought that it was a sterile environment how insane is that that like they're suddenly going to come out into the world with no protective mechanisms whatsoever they're supposed to you know adapt to this modern world um but let's just say we we accept now that it's not a sterile environment and that the babies do have some degree of bacterial colonization prior to birth but the bonus of the vaginal delivery is and you know there's some discussions as well sorry if i'm talking really fast ladies you know i I, I pump out the info when when my brain is going fast i need to share um, but what what the the studies were showing that the impact of the changes in hormones as initiated by a natural labour. So let's just say a woman is due to have a C-section. They're actually mm-hmm. suggesting it may be encouraging to allow them to go into even an induced labour to get those hormones pumping because that immediately changes the microbiome and the vaginal microbiota, which with or without vaginal delivery is still going to help to support the biome of the baby. So they're like, well, if you're going to have two options, how about we do a non-essential you know, emergency Caesar? Don't worry 
let's just choose the induction to get all those juices and hormones pumping and then bring the baby out and potentially that can help change the microbiota too. So, you know, the vaginal swabbing comes about with the idea that as the baby passes out, the vaginal um, exits the world, comes and joins us, it's coated in the mother's vaginal secretions. So that, you know, is in the eyes, ears, the mouth, the nose, everything. So, which you know, you don't want to get a visual of that, then don't think about it. But the reality is, you know, we're covered in this, this stuff that comes off our mother's vagina and that, you know, it starts to colonize our first, you know, vaginal microbiota for an infant female. Now, the men as well, they're still looking at what that does to boys, but the reality is all of those different bacteria are a massive player in the immune system of that infant when it first arrives. So that's kind of cool, huh? So ladies, if you know, if you are considering whether a Caesar versus a, uh, a vaginal delivery is, you know, preferable, then there's, this is one of those things that should weigh up on your, your thoughts as well. It's, you know, not as straightforward as just uh, better or worse. It's simply saying it's, it's a matter of many different possibilities and understanding this might, you know, might dissuade the idea that you can do that. You can have that vaginal delivery if you choose to. So, um, Yes, very interested. I'm really excited to see what happens in the next few years, whether we start to say put a foot down on the, you know, elective seizures and say, look, it's not good enough. Um, you know, we're, we're harming the future of our children by not considering the impact that that delivery has on their future health. Um, I know they're certainly considering this this year. We'll talk about that quick study now, but there was a paper presented um Frontiers in Cellular and Infection Microbiology. And um, this came out on the 28th of August, 2019. So here we are sitting in uh, in November. So it's really not that long ago. And it's called a conceptual design of a universal donor screening approach for vaginal microbiota transplant. Mm-hmm. You know, and so this is kind of exciting because we're just talking about this idea of does the baby get what it needs if it's not born vaginally? And here we are with study trying to work out, is there a screening process to find out if there's a, you know, a safe and healthy microbiota that we could actually transfer to other women to help restore and recolonize a healthy vaginal, um, you know, microbiome, which is fascinating because they've done this with fecal matter transplant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's such an interesting thought, isn't it? And I think, you know, watch this space. I really do think that, um, you know, over the next few years, we're going to have so much more information, studies and understanding as to what the implications of that are. And hopefully that will also drive um, less, uh, I guess, forced C-sections as well. Like, obviously, if it's in case of an emergency, absolutely, you know, save bub and mum's life. But if not, then hopefully there's other decisions that are made. But that's absolutely a podcast for another time, which we will cover. Um, All right. So, ladies, we hope that this has given you a little bit of insight into you know, the wonderful world of the vaginal microbiome, what the implications are for a healthy microbiome and um, some things that you can do to improve the health of that as well. We would love to hear from you. You can absolutely communicate with us from any of those social media channels that we've talked about. So facebook.com forward slash the wellness women or we're at the wellness women official on Instagram. Feel free to email us, which is info at the wellnesswomen.com.au if you've got any more questions about anything that's come up on this episode i guess and if there's been specific things that you've done or that you've come across that has influenced this part of your health we would love to know you know in particular something like bacterial vaginosis is a really tricky condition to successfully treat so if you have come across something um, that has worked to treat for you we would love to know that would be really interesting for us to dive into All right. So ladies, uh, you have been listening to Wellness Women Radio. We are the Wellness Women, Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston. We are raising the bar for women's health 
And until next week, be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.